Before we play the next episode of the UK Consult, we would like to read you the following prepared statement from our lawyers. Last week on the UK Consult, week 20, John Oates, sorry, we, there's no blame culture here, wrongly and mistakenly attributed a section of the podcast to Christy Cutter. This was a gross error on our part. Circa 25 minutes into the recording, and I quote, John Oates, sorry, we at the UK Consult, stated in relation to a new chicken-based project launch in Engagement HQ, open quotation marks, Christy said she's excited, a little apprehensive, offering a lot of different perspectives whilst minimising foul play, close quotation marks. It has since come to light, Jono, play the music, Jono, that music. No, not Alexa. She'll take ages and then she'll play Bon Jovials. No, no one wants that. Now, that violin stuff. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It has since come to light that this quadruple chicken joke in one sentence was not actually the masterful comedic invention of our US marketing colleague, Christy Cutter, but in fact, our Bang the Table US account manager, Katie Belter. Furthermore, UK consult hosts take full responsibility for the subsequent jokes and sarcasm relating to this, such as, oh, I bet Christy edits our jokes out and keeps her own quadruple chicken one in, and oh, I bet she follows it up with canned laughter instead of the tumbleweed like we get for our jokes. This is clearly, you can stop that now. This is clearly unacceptable and the UK consult hosts hereby promise to thoroughly check all sources before broadcasts are made in the future. So as definitely not to potentially hamper any chances of strolling to the UK National Podcast Awards and sweeping the board there. We are hereby apologising sincerely to Christy, to Katie, to our millions of global listeners in the interests of total transparency and humility. And we hope you enjoy this next special guest edition of the UK Consult. Thank you. Welcome to the UK Consult weekly podcast with Jonathan Bradley and Elton Daddo, engagement practitioners and general consultation superheroes at Bang the Table in the UK. Hello and welcome to Jono and Elk's weekly ramble through all things online community engagement and public consultation. We are joined this week by a very, very special guest. So we're joined by Caitlin Hafferty, PhD researcher in digital engagement, general rambling explorer who creates the best infographics we've ever seen. Very warm welcome, Caitlin. Thank you. And are you excited, Jono? Oh, I, I was trying to find a drum roll. I was going to ask, ask Alexa for a drum roll. No, no, don't. It just spoils the flow because she just says, sorry, I cannot connect, um, you know, and all that. So we're still not really getting on. Yeah, Alexa does 
interrupt quite a lot throughout these, Caitlin. So you might have to be. But if she's not connected, that might be that might be quite a good thing. So we might have a better flow this week. And so before we delve into the really exciting research that you're undertaking around digital engagement and inclusion and all those sorts of things, I've just got one quick question, a really burning question that I like to ask special guests at the start. So firstly, I mean the main question isn't going to work if you don't answer this one correctly. Um, do you love chips? Do I love chips? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm talking the UK traditional sort of thing. Yeah, 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 not crisps. Yeah. Not crisps. Brilliant. Okay, so, and we're going to run this as a Twitter poll afterwards. What's the best accompaniment to a bowl of chips? And the five options are as follows. Gravy, mayonnaise, ketchup, salad cream, or curry sauce? Oh... You know, it would totally depend what mood I'm in uh, and whether or not I've been to the pub. But I probably would say ketchup because it's the most versatile, although I do really like curry sauce. It's a versatile topping, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good with everything. You know where you are with ketchup. But that's really interesting because when we do these Twitter polls, obviously we would really want to drill in from a digital engagement perspective, we'd want to drill down further. So your answer was really interesting because it was like, depends on my mood. So mm. that's really, so you would have only had those five options. You would have ended up on ketchup, but it wouldn't really have told us the whole story about that at all, would it? Unless we drilled down a bit further. Exactly. Look at the we'd context and the situation. Yeah, we'd already be um, sort of coding, wouldn't we, the data to um, how many times do people say versatility? How much does mood play into it? Yeah, and bringing in, like Caitlin mentioned, things like alcohol. So if, it, if you've been for a night out or something like that, you might choose something completely different. Yeah. If you're up north, you might think, oh, I'll get into the spirit of it and go with gravy. Always. So where you are as well. Always. In, in Wales, they, they do like to have half and half as well, which is when you get half chips half um, rice, which is something I never knew until I worked in bars in Cardiff for years. It's a oh. definite thing, half and half. Half and half? So half yeah, chips, chips and half rice. rice. It's an absolute carb fest. Oh, yeah, it's great. Oh, I'm so hungry now already. <laughs> would they have different things on the rice compared to the chips, or would they have the same thing over both? I think the same thing. So... One of my friends used to have half and half with uh, beef chilli. Oh, you see, this Twitter poll now already looks redundant, really, because you're just not going to get much of a sense if people can only just pick one very simple option. doesn't tell the whole story at all. We need a stories tool, don't we? I think what you can ask for is um, they have to complete the poll and then comment. Yes. Yeah, and then mm. you could... Um, collate those comments in but but yeah we're all very hungry now so enough about that and we're delighted to have you on here today Caitlin to tell us not just about chips and toppings but tell us more about your research and your PhD. Yeah um, my PhD uh, actually changed quite a lot at the beginning of lockdown as I'm sure everyone's work lives did too but I was originally kind of looking at different tools for public engagement or community engagement, but very much testing them kind of out there with local authorities and very much on the ground. And then obviously it wasn't possible. So I thought, what can I do that might be quite useful to people? And how can I adapt this project? 
So instead, what I've done is I've spoken to around 40 or so different public engagement practitioners about their experiences using digital tools kind of going into lockdown. So a lot of it was talking about how they've moved face-to-face engagement uh, online or haven't, which is quite interesting. And what I did first is I launched a survey that I think had uh, around 60 or so respondents, which was really, really short. It was only five minutes, but it did give me a nice idea about the different mixes of digital tools that people were using before lockdown and during lockdown was really interesting when I interviewed them and had this in-depth conversation with them to kind of draw out you know their decisions and experiences with using different tools and approaches so hopefully I can produce some uh, quite useful insights uh, into these things. Wow that's brilliant and you always produce a lot of fantastic infographics as well and we're going to put one of those most recent ones up that you've put out in the blurb and it's called merits and considerations for online community engagement do you want to talk around that a bit yeah sure i recently i've done two blog posts now for um different organizations one for grasshopper uk which was on sort of the impact of lockdown on community engagement and then a recent one uh, which was published yesterday for Commonplace, which is I produced two infographics for as well. And the infographic that you just mentioned was kind of just looking at the pros and cons of using digital tools. And obviously this is very generic and it totally, I think I put a little bit at the bottom of the infographic. It really does depend on the context that you're using it and the purpose of the project and the people you're engaging with and that kind of thing. So, you know, when you were talking about that poll earlier and just having those, you know, mayonnaise or whatever, people's choices or opinions are going to change totally depending on you know the context the area their life experiences and it's pretty much the same kind of thing for using digital tools and what could inform your selection of them so for this infographic you know I wanted to keep it quite simple I think I really enjoy doing infographics and actually I think I use too much text on them still but you know it's all a learning curve but I just looked at, you know, kind of like, what are the merits? So I think I put, you know, things like having a hub of reliable data. And it's incredible how, you know, quickly you can collect different experiences and attitudes towards certain projects. But then on the other hand, you might exclude some people or marginalise some people. And there's lots of themes that you can think about with regards to digital ethics. So, you know, what are the ethics of using different technologies? Uh, who am I excluding? How accessible is it? Uh, how easy is it to understand for people? You know, also things that we're thinking about in terms of, you know, how transparent the different approaches, um, you know, compared to online and offline. So there's all these different complexities, I think, that you know can be communicated in in a simple way in that, like in that infographic. But really, in every situation, it's almost just going to be, you know, a web of these different things that can shift and change depending on what you're looking at. Yeah, definitely. I mean, well, I, one of the things I want to, I'm going to come back to another one of your infographics, but one of the things that I'd like to know from, from you immediately is as, as your research has gone on, have you noticed sort of any change in terms of what you learned early on, what you're sort of discovering now? Has that remained consistent or is it changing or? In terms of how my project was before lockdown and during. Yeah, and how it's gone on now. You've interviewed more people and got your survey results. Thing is, you know, what are the sort of highlights? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, well, obviously, there has been a huge push towards using digital 
pools in various different situations. Um, and in fact, I was reading, there was a special issue recently in the, I think it's a journal of e-planning research. And it was all about, you know, the impact of COVID on using digital technology in different areas, you know, local authorities, decision making. Um, so I definitely, you know, I think that is something that has definitely happened. You know, it's acceleration and it's a big push towards the digital. But then equally, I think that because of this, because people are using how to you you know learning how to use different tools that they might not have done before and then it's really pushed these you know kind of considerations for it as well which is you know helping people maybe make more balanced choices or more critical choices about things people are having maybe more questions um, about the different tools that they're using yeah that's really insightful because before covid we a lot of us around the table spend a lot of time telling people about the theory of um, online participation and why it was important so we were sort of really banging the table to demonstrate why it was important and, and a lot of the people that we worked with might have been considered pioneers and evangelists and believers um, and, and now there's more of a case that people are having to work this way there's less of a sort of demand for the, the theory and the, the, the mission. It's actually the how. What does this tool do? How does it work? How do I do it? It's much more practical based now. Yeah, I think so. But also, you know, when you have that mission and, you know, what are my core principles of engagement? What do I want to achieve for engagement? You know, do I want it to be inclusive, accessible? Do I want it to be transparent? And all these, you know, core objectives of engagement that organisations have, I think, you know, it's really important to think about how are these tools, not only how do I use them, but how do they help meet my goals? And is it different using online and face-to-face or, you know, is using a blend really beneficial? I think it's a really interesting time at the moment for online engagement and engagement, you know, altogether. It's really interesting you mentioned that blended approach. It's something I was going to ask you about because my background is in higher education and obviously blended learning has been a thing there for many, many years. But talk us through that blended approach in community engagement. So as I say, we hear it a lot in education, but how does that map to the sphere of community engagement? Because a lot of the time we hear prospective clients and things like that. If there's one person who's going to be excluded, then we don't want to do digital at all. So it's quite a all or nothing thing in some cases for people? Mm. I think the way I really like to think about it and a way argued a lot in the, you know, the different studies that I'm reading as part of my research is instead of viewing it as a toolkit, so instead of looking at the individual tools and approaches for engagement, instead of you have a bit more of a flexible, maybe adaptable outlook on this, And instead of thinking, you know, oh, if this tool is excluding this demographic, I won't use it. It's more thinking, okay, if I'm using this tool, what are the benefits? What are the cons? Thinking about those things and then going, okay, you know, it might make sense not to use that tool or it might make sense to continue using that tool, but then use a different tool to reach to the demographic that you might have missed. So having a bit more of a blended approach to me just means being a bit more flexible about it and not viewing it as, you know, oh, we have to use these tools and this approach, and this is the only thing that we do. But viewing, you know, engagement more as a process that's totally just going to depend not only on the context and everything at the beginning of the process, 
but that it can change throughout. And this will also depend on, you know, the resources of not only the demographics that you're engaging with, but the resources of the organization that's carrying out the engagement, you know, different levels of funding or different, you know, levels of manpower. And especially at the moment, things are so unpredictable in the workplace. So I just think that that is a very productive view of engagement in my mind. It's just see it as, you know, just kind of very blended and, and flexible. Yeah, yeah. In um, in engagement methodology, um, over the years, as we've trained people on good practice public consultation, we've always talked about mixed methodologies. Mm. And one of these sort of starting points for understanding whether or not a public consultation is, you know, is a good one or a bad one is actually did they use a variety of methods? We use phrases like horses for courses and things like that. And I think right, you know, that's with the online work, online world use different tools different methods and, and use the ones that you think are going to work best with with the different audiences the different communities yeah and that, that was really exemplified as well by that recent coffee and a client roundtable that you attended um caitlin because there were so many different people from different sectors who were at different stages in terms of evolving their digital strategy or digital engagement strategy. So, I mean, how did you find that? What were your kind of reflections from, from listening to their thoughts and input? I just found it really interesting kind of, you know, listening to various I don't know, users and applications of the software and just areas of innovation, I think, is really, really interesting to me, which is a lot of what I've been talking to engagement practitioners about, you know, what can we learn particularly from a period of accelerated digitization in many ways where are people innovating so i'm always i think i've you know mentioned to you before i love this element of you know incorporation of machine learning in, in different aspects i think it's fantastic yeah. if you can have an automated system you know people's opinions and then you can mine the text for different emotions and sentiment and having that in you know practice-based application is really exciting to me but then I think it also means that it's it's like the, the whole, I don't know if you see the social dilemma on uh, Netflix, but it's all these brilliant, you have all this different technology, but this pushes things, uh, issues like accountability and data transparency and who owns things all into the spotlight, if you like. So I just think it's an exciting time on all rounds for uh, innovation, but also these considerations too. Yeah. I went to something called a digital translator event that was organized by Up. I didn't go, obviously. I just did it, did it from here. Um, but, um, one of the things in there was about the importance of that something to do that heavy lifting on participants' contributions online because we are going to get to a point where we have a lot more mass participation that is both uh, mass participation and in-depth participation so what that means is qualitative data really we're going to get more and more of that you know over the next few years so that that ability to number crunch becomes so important i mean we've invested in the technology to do that through artificial intelligence so it's quite exciting times but also i feel really like i feel quite ignorant because i, I know how to say the phrase artificial intelligence and that's as far as it goes i'm like what does it even mean as it work you know push a button Tech people love that, don't they? Just push a button. Yeah, and then it comes out with loads of really inaccurate A-level results. It's great. <laughs> you can say neural, neural networks is what they learn off, and uh, I like saying that word. My boyfriend's a software engineer, and he tells me all about neural networks and machine learning and AI. 
and I like to pretend I know what he's talking about, but, it, you know, they're great words. Oh, it sounds like you're ahead of the game already. Way ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really cool. And, and how much of an importance do you attach throughout this whole process to things like trust? So once, for example, let's just use a local council as an example, they feel like they're losing trust with their residents, how much does then that tip the balance towards them embracing a digital engagement strategy, um, probably ahead of the time when they would have planned to have done so? I think trust, and I'm sure so many people would agree, is absolutely one of the most essential parts of you know these objectives towards best practice if you like um, engagement and I think it ties in with things like facilitation and leadership uh, and different other core objectives of, of good quality engagement um, and I think it totally depends again it's going to be a big theme on what I say it just depends on you know the context and the project and the people you're engaging with so you know on one hand I'm from a Rural Research Institute where I do my PhD and lots of the people I work with work a lot with farmers and I know that there you know they find um, you know face-to-face workshops and interactions so so useful with that demographic of farmers because it means they can you know go for walks around the farmland and you know talk about certain issues they can really help kind of warm up people in that face-to-face situation then on the other hand, you know, I know that other people may be in a planning situation, housing development or another type of project and demographic completely see the benefits of having this consultation or town hall consultation meetings online because they're finding maybe more people turn up. They're finding it, you know, easier in some situations or maybe slightly difficult in other situations to kind of mediate different voices like louder voices or quieter voices. In the situation so i think the, the key thing is to me is you know recognizing these things because then you can learn more about different approaches and then make a more informed choice about what you do yeah definitely do you hear it quite a lot in in terms of some of the people you've spoken to around well surely we can just do those things on on twitter because we can gauge opinion yeah it's not a semi-formal environment within which people can engage and bring the sort of quieter voices forward but we get the information we we broadly need from twitter in terms of feedback on stuff so we don't really need to do anything more than that has that been a theme at all i wouldn't have enough information at the moment to say that i haven't fully begun proper analysis uh, on my data i've got to do a big literature review first which is what i'm working on at the moment just writing wow. it up but yeah <laughs> But, you know, just kind of my general thoughts on that is, you know, almost going back to when we were talking about that Twitter poll earlier and, you know, understanding the context in which things are happening. I think while Twitter can be great for some things, I think, you know, it's it's good. People can share updates on projects. I've seen a few people using sharing videos on Twitter, just short videos of updates on different consultation processes, which I think is a really nice way to engage. Yeah. Um, equally using little polls but then I think you know I'm not sure maybe in some situations it works fine but I'd encourage people to think about are you getting enough in-depth information about this there's a difference between having something on Twitter where it's completely public and having something that's maybe in an online engagement platform where people can have an interactive and deliberative discussion forum and not only a discussion forum but they might have 
other media and different means to engage as well. So they might have, I don't know, a, a map where you can see different people's thoughts and feelings to a certain area, or you might have an opportunity to, you know, share photos or share videos. And I just think it's nice to have multiple means to engage, if you like, to help try and draw out the most information that you can, the most detailed um, information that you can. Yeah, because that's where we move then quite distinctly away from Caitlin likes ketchup on her chips into a completely different depth of analysis around your feelings and the what motivates you in various situations and other comments and thoughts you had about it. So we move from that very black and white response that you that you gave at the start into something a lot deeper and more meaningful around your ability to express yourself in a discussion forum or tell stories about you know chips and rice being on the same plate and <laughs> all of those sorts of things as well it's quite interesting the way you can then extrapolate that and then use those engagement tools you had a, a an infographic didn't you Jono that you were going to share I did yeah um, I'm just kind of mentioned something really quickly beforehand that you made me think about Caitlin is that Twitter and Facebook we tends to be a sort of like a more of a place where people might might misbehave maybe a little bit rude to each other and things like that and what what we find one of the benefits of moving that conversation to a platform like engagement HQ is is that people tend to behave and and we're not constantly telling them to behave it's actually quite the opposite we have a whole moderation process where human beings actually check comments against our moderation policy what we find is that the, the intervention level is is really small people aren't actually they're not sort of saying that you know these are the ground rules and you must obey them it's, it's just like you, you will um, adhere to the moderation policy when they register and what we find is that people because they seem to have crossed some kind of semi-formal digital threshold it's almost like they just sort of sit up straight and think, oh, well, you know, I, I get this. This is a place where I have to be um, quite considered and have a ci civil dialogue with fellow citizens. And it almost happens automatically. I can't pinpoint how or why, but, you know, we really do find that it's quite fascinating. I was just going to say about, you know, the anonymous nature, if you like, about social media, even if you do have your name and your profile picture on there, it doesn't have to be your name and profile picture. So I do wonder if you have trolls and keyboard warriors because of this on, you know, Facebook and Twitter, which everybody sees exactly what you said, Jonathan, with, you know, once you have to provide a legitimate email address and you're in a space where, you know, suddenly you've got all your neighbours around you then perhaps that does create a bit of a, a transparency, if you like, that will, as you say, kind of encourage uh, a more sensible conversation in some such circumstances. I have heard some, you know, horror stories from town hall consultations. <laughs> really reminds me of the classroom setting, and I'm not saying I did this, but classroom setting. So before the teacher walks in, you're throwing Maltesers and other chocolate snacks are available at the back of someone's head for example when that teacher walks in do you carry on doing that no and that's not to say that he's going to come in and say this is really over the top and formal but you just naturally go into a kind of mode of being slightly better behaved because you know that that's just not necessarily going to be tolerated so if you're looking to make a comment on engagement hq but you're aware of that policy that moderation policy, for example, you know if you type swear words in and things like that, moderation is going to take them straight out anyway. So there's no point in doing it, is there? So you naturally kind of adjust your <laughs> behaviour. That might be a terrible example. <laughs> no, 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 it's a good point. Going back to my infographic, then, because 
Caitlin, what we normally have is a, stat, a statistic of the week, and you made us think about maybe we could have an infographic of the week. I've gone for uh, from the site dailyinfographic.com. Um, other infographic sites are available. <laughs> the, um, uh, there's one here on the healing power of cat purrs, which I find really nice. Mm -hmm. And there's and there's statistics in it as well. Um, yeah. So cats create purr vibrations with a range of 20 to 140, is it hertz, known to be medically therapeutic for many illnesses. A recent study shows that cat owners have 40% um, less risk of a heart attack. And it's good for stress and blood pressure and things like that. So that was the infographic of the week. Elton will put that in the I will. I will. And now we don't do any preparation for this at all. And Jono, you didn't know, but this keeps happening week on week now. Where don't it's tell like, me you're going to do something on cats. It's, my Meldrew moment is relating to cats. Yeah. Oh, this and we didn't know. We genuinely didn't know this. I mean, this happens every week. It's brilliant. <laughs> Would you say that that is the, uh, a perfect infographic? Oh. Oh. <laughs> you could say it's cataclysmic. Oh. I'm not joining in. <laughs> now you need to explore because we had four chicken jokes and there's a long story behind that. We better not go into it, but <laughs> our legal team are looking into it. But yeah, if we had four cat related jokes, we could almost match the outstanding performance of Katie Belter last week, our colleague who came up with four chicken related ones so yes. there you go but it's a very very long story that <laughs> have you got any specific stats or anything like that caitlin or anything else you want to add about your research because i know john is dying to get into meldrew moments before we close because he usually spends a sort of hour or two there no i think that we've had a, a really interesting conversation about it and uh, yeah, i look forward to keeping you updated on i've actually done my analysis and uh, i think i've got about a year and year and four months left of my phd so it'll uh, power on nicely hopefully yeah that's no, really exciting and we'll put your link to your twitter feed and things up as well so if you suddenly get an explosion of several hundred thousand new followers overnight you'll know obviously it was um, your uk consult performance and inclusion that gave you that additional following i do like twitter i do like twitter i got very into it over lockdown and i think it's for the best yeah definitely now do you have any particular grumpy moments not just necessary from this week or research related or it can be something very very silly and benign anything at all I can actually tell you a story. Uh, I think it was last week or the week before. My, my local, my local shop is uh, one of these petrol station Marks and Spencers, and because it's quite small and they've got one of these fancy traffic light systems, I don't know if you've seen it, but you have to queue outside, and the traffic light knows how many people are in the shop, and it turns green or red depending on who's coming and going. So we're all standing outside the shop, and there's quite a long queue. And the thing that really makes me grumpy is a few times everybody has been queuing nicely with masks on, ready to go in. And somebody has got out of their car from the petrol pump, cut straight in front of the queue and walked in as soon as the light turns green and then oh. it goes red. Oh, oh, it annoys me so much. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm actually grumpy now about that. Yeah, I'm really, really annoyed about that. We have a, a similar system at our local co-op and i haven't seen that happen yet but it's near i think it's nearly happened 
you know, it's, it's just that whole sort of lack of awareness of other people around you, which is so important at this time, you know, yeah. that, and, and people just, you know, yeah. jumping out their car and trying, they're not even trying to jump the queue. They don't even know there is a queue. They just think yeah. people are like staring at the red light. Yeah, it's the same ones you go in the shop and they go, oh, everybody's wearing masks in here. I better go back to my car. And it's like, yes. Yes. <laughs> Everyone is. And we did definitely have that in supermarkets as well, whereby you would stand, obviously, where the lines are and someone would behind you would get annoyed because they would think you're just blocking the way. But obviously you're waiting until the person in front of you has moved. So it just looks like you're standing there being obstructive, but obviously you're just obeying the rules. And then someone would just squeeze past you. And that was before the masks were mandatory that happened. From, from our mini focus group now, you've made me think, going back to cats and dogs. So if cats and dogs are, are doing something they shouldn't do and you don't really want to tell them off, you can just sort of spray them with a water pistol. So, <laughs> so, so I've heard. So maybe we all need to start carrying water pistols. And so if somebody's like not queuing when they should be or they haven't got a mask on, they get sprayed with a water pistol because it doesn't hurt, but they just know. You'd be like, oh, I've just been hit by a spray of water. Oh, have I got, got my mask on? Have I done not following the rules? And you'd know. <laughs> Jono, what's made you grumpy this week? What, what's your top ten? I've got three, actually. I tried <laughs> to keep it down because I knew Caitlin would be here. Um, so do you want the work one first or the work one last? Uh, work first. Well... It's going back to the whole cycling thing. I'm grumpy, but I'm also sort of like, oh, that's quite interesting as well. So again, it's going back to local councils being encouraged to add more cycle paths, make it so more no-through roads, widen pavements, all that sort of thing. And, and it was in the guidance and everyone's you know, sort of saying, you must consult on this, you must consult on it. And then loads of places happen and everyone's up in arms. And instead of all the good things happening that would have been creating this society that walks more and cycles more, people are just really angry about sort of like, the, oh, it's ruined my, I can't get around the town anymore and things like that because they haven't been engaged early in the process. And there has been, there hasn't been the appropriate amount of public consultation and this could have been done online and done really well. Huh. So in the news today or a few days ago, Kent County Council is going to refuse any more green schemes without more consultation. <laughs> so they are actually saying, good, yes. They're saying, no, no, hold on a minute. We're not having any more of this until you can demonstrate that there has been an appropriate level of consultation. So they've looked at this and they've gone, rewind, hold on a minute, we've done something wrong here. That's really yes. good. They've listened to their community yeah. or certain parts of their community and they've responded and said, yeah, we get it. You know, local people know about the implications of making changes to their streets and street spaces much better than we do. Let's go through the process of consultation before we make any of these changes and then have to undo them because they don't work. And that's, you know, it's a micro, it's a microcosm of um, the, the importance of proper engagement and public consultation. So I'm grumpy, but yes. I'm also quite enlightened by Kent County Council's response. I'm, yeah, I'm enlightened by that and I'm heartwarmed because I'm, I am from Kent. Right. So that's where I grew up. So that was my former local county council. So I'm very proud of them. That's a good start. Um, and then the other two mining. What do you think of that, Caitlin? Sorry, just before I go on to my other grumpies. I would completely agree. I think grumpy and heartwarmed at the same time is a pretty accurate description yeah. of it. So I think, you know, you're totally right. Anything that can show 
the benefit of engaging communities in decisions which affect them because actually the value of local knowledge is so 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 important beauty yeah um the other two are quite quick really you know the whole this whole mr grumpy thing caitlin is based on a book um by carol e wire about how to train your grumpy, how to train your grumpy and it's about it is about i think it was really about men getting older and and i've sort of fit into that category only just i might add and, yeah and so i'm sort of like we're, we're this part of this podcast is a bit of a documentary of that journey and what's upset me this week is um hair where it shouldn't be it's a bit gross because it's like i i don't know if that hair in your nose and hair in your ear i'm like why do you even need that i didn't have to worry about that before and now i do so that's making me quite grumpy and then the other thing is you don't believe there's sort of a lack of sort of like believing in fairies and magic and thing like things like that and one of those things that i no longer believe in is the teaspoon in the bottle of prosecco stops the bubbles escaping I, I used to believe it. I had faith in that. I knew it wasn't true. I knew it couldn't happen. But, I'd but you did it. it. Yeah, I put the spoon in. Yeah. Like, oh, that'll be all right. That won't go flat. And now I'm like, that's just silly. I can't afford things with corks in them. It's all screw tops. So it's really easy for me. <laughs> so there you go. And that was, oh, yeah. So hair where it shouldn't be and... Um, spoons in top of, top of Prosecco. Now, you know that mine's cat-related, right? So why hasn't someone come up with a better design for cat litter, right? So what happens? The cat always gets in the litter and uses it. That's absolutely fine. Then spreads, because obviously the shape of it, if you look at the shape of a cat's paws or even a dog's paws, it's designed so that little stones will get stuck in between them. I mean, it's just the way it is. Can't someone go on Dragon's Den and say, right, I've cracked this, because every time a cat uses a litter, half of it gets sprayed around the house, and you find bits in like rooms that are miles away, or outside, or in the kitchen, or things like that. So why is it designed? I know it's supposed to be so it's got maximum surface area to soak up liquids and stuff like that. I get that. There must be a better way. It's just me, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe a high-sided cat litter tray, but then... Would the cat be able to get in and out? I've got a high-sided one. It's even got a roof, but it goes okay. in and out, and it just it, the litter's just everywhere, everywhere, all over the floor, out into the hall. I think it's cats just... do it on purpose. I think they like to know that you know they've used the litter tray and that you need to go and clean it out. I think it's their I message to you. Yeah, I haven't thought of that. I have not thought of that. So it's actually the cat that's to blame, not the design of the cat litter. Oh yeah, well no, it makes sense. I think you're right, Caitlin. I think the joy of owning a cat is that they really enjoy teasing humans. Yeah. So we've got two cats, Bradley and Oliver. They will quite often sit looking out the window at the back that goes onto the patio, patio doors sort of thing. And um, they'll sit there looking like they're desperate to go out. And they'll do it when you sit down. And you'll be like, oh, I've just sat down. And then they'll carry on like staring outside. And then you get up and you open the door and they walk back and they just walk back into the house. They're like, yeah, we got them. You know, so yeah, I think it's deliberate help. Oh, uh, yeah, I've not thought of it that way around. You've enlightened me, Caitlin. I'm not as grumpy about it now. So you turned all our grumpies into quite positive, good things. I'm quite, quite happy with that. Can you come on every week? Yeah. <laughs> well, you can even introduce this nicer, you know, context theme that we've had throughout 
and that I'm pretty sure it would vary between cat breeds because my cousin has a Maine Coon. So uh, I think Maine Coons are even more proud and, you know, she sits there. And so I think it, I do wonder if it varies between breed as well. Yeah. We can uh, change the name of this to the poor cast. But no, I mean, on a more serious note, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. And we're obviously going to be following very closely um, the output of your research and on an ongoing basis and on Twitter and all of those sorts of things. And obviously invite you back again and to our next Coffee and Cake Roundtable as well. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you for inviting me. It's been really nice to chat to you guys. Brilliant. And it's, it's just us next week then, Jono, and uh, until next time. Until next time. Thank you for tuning in to the UK Consult. Join us for future conversations each week as we continue to explore the tremendous, meaningful and ever-evolving world of digital consultation and community engagement. You can view additional educational resources at bangthetable.com.